But if you've got your Bibles, you might like to flick over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 because we're continuing our, our series today and we've been working through 2 Corinthians. And uh, if you can find it in your Bibles, please do. It's just lovely to see um, friends around this morning. One or two popped in. I know it's holiday, so others have gone, but others have come in. So, so good to see you. So glad you could be with us. But we're going through as a church uh, a series on, on 2 Corinthians. So we're up to, oh, you can't really see it, can you? Anyway, um, take, take my word for it. Uh, we're looking at 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. And uh, we're just going through chapter by chapter. And it's so good to do that because what that means is, is that we have no, in one sense, no real control over what we say. So this isn't my fault this morning. If I say something that might, might I don't know, challenge you in particular ways, it may make you uncomfortable. I don't know. It's out of my hands. We're just going through the Bible. We're kind of submitting ourselves under the word of God this morning which I, I really love. So, so that's where we're going. And I have to say that I'm quite stirred about this particular chapter because it's one of those chapters that, I guess, highlight for me what I love about Paul, or one of the things. Because in it you're suddenly aware, or at least I'm aware, that Paul really is in a different league from me uh, in, in, in many ways. In the sense that he really is this incredible, passionate follower of Jesus truly to the ultimate degree. He really is the New Testament real deal. That's who we're coming to this morning and as we read the words of Paul. And, uh, and you can get what I'm talking about when you look at chapter 6. I'm going to put up on the screen. Don't worry if you can't find it in your Bible. But right from verse 4, this is Paul speaking. He says, Look, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, Hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. I'm exhausted just reading the list. <laughs> and really it's amazing, it's like Paul saying, I am a true servant of Jesus, you can see it here. This, this is the proof. This is how it's demonstrated in my life. And, and, and that's really provoking to me because I think if someone was to come to me and ask Pete, what proofs can you point to that really show you're a true follower of Christ? What can you, what can you point to? I'm not sure I'd answer in those terms. I mean, how would you answer if someone asked you? Well, I'm a servant of Christ because I, uh, I go to church on Sunday. Uh, I, uh, I read my Bible on and off. Uh, I, I don't swear in the office so much. Uh, I even come to church when it's cold and the heating's not working. It's not like that, is it? It's not quite the same league, is it? Paul's laying his life down for Jesus. Beating, suffering, full of the Spirit, full of power and purity. I sometimes feel he's not quite in, or I'm not quite in the same league. And straight away you see I'm thinking, this really is an apostolic follower of Christ. This is what it looks like. This is the real deal. 
And then again, this is also why I love Paul, because you see, for him, it's not enough just to talk about his own deep walk with God. What I love is that he always wants us to come into that ourselves. He wants us to enter in. And you'll find this with Paul again and again. So he says elsewhere to the Corinthians, he says, I urge you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, come into this yourselves. Live like this too. He says to Timothy at one point, you know all about my life, my love, my faith. In other words, you come into this too. It's not just for me. You come in to experience the glory and the power of God and the challenge of God as I do. And that's kind of what we see here actually in chapter 6. He wants to draw the Corinthians and us into this true apostolic walk with God. He wants us to know that kind of intimacy and power and depth for ourselves. And I love that because I don't know about you, but I ache for more. Right? I'm hitting my mid-50s. I've been a Christian since I was about 16. I long for more. I am not satisfied. I know there is more, and I long for more. I'm not satisfied to stay where I am. I look at the life of Paul, and I know there's more. And really, in the rest of this chapter, Paul, actually, if you look at it, he's kind of giving pointers as to how. Right? How? how? How you can enter into that kind of life and into more. And so we have the next verses from verse 14 through to the first verse of chapter 7. And, and Julian's going to read it to us this morning. So I'll put on the screen, just follow it through. This is the how. This is the means to the more. Okay, as far as Paul is concerned in this context. So, so here we go. Thanks, mate. Do not be yoked together with oh, sorry. <laughs> For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said... I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Julian. This is one way how you can enter into more. See, these verses, I think, really, they're, they're an invitation. Actually, they're more than that. They're a, they're a challenge to step out of a lifestyle of compromise, which the Corinthians had drifted into, and sin, and step into a lifestyle of intimacy with God. They're a challenge to turn away from a spiritual life which is shallow and, and mediocre and step into a life which is shot full of the glory and presence of God. 
I believe that. That's what these verses are. And really, to understand this, it helps just to go back a few verses towards the end of the previous chapter where we come across a really powerful statement about the believer, what happens when you put your trust in Jesus. It's back in chapter 5, verse 17. And, and Paul, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. In other words, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you turn your life over to him, when you receive him as Lord, something radical happens in you. Something happens in you. It's not that you simply become a slightly improved version of the old. You know, you don't swear so much or you pay your taxes now. No, no, it's that these verses are saying that your old life with all its sin and regret and independence from God is gone and you've become a new person, a new creation. That inner part of you, right, that is most you, that no one else can see but is at your very core, that part of you has been born again, the Bible says, of the Spirit. You are a new person. I mean, Paul puts it elsewhere in other ways. He says to the Colossians at one point, he says, you were once in the dominion of darkness, now you are in the kingdom of his Son. You were once a spiritual orphan, alone in the world, now you are a child of God. Now you get to call him Abba Father. I know when I was a young teenager of 16, I sensed there was a, a force somewhere up between the stars but it's only when I gave my life to him that I can call him Father and know him intimately. His spirit is now within you, closer to you than your very breath. Once you were lost in futility and you actually had no future. You thought you had one, but you didn't really. Now you are destined for heaven and you are called to rule in a new creation. That's your destiny. I love the way one writer says it. He says, since we give our lives to Jesus, he says this. He says, we are destined to become everlasting splendors, which if you saw now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Just let that sink in for a second. 10,000 years from now, we'll catch each other's eye and we'll have a good laugh about the bad old days on earth. But I will look at you and you'll be an everlasting splendor, which if I saw you now, I'd be tempted to drop down and worship. That's your destiny now. When you give your life to Jesus, you come into destiny, which is eternal. You are a new creation. Yeah, the, 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 you're getting older and more wrinkly on the outside. I thought I spotted a few more this morning as I got up after a sleepless night with my grandson. <laughs> But on the inside, because you gave your life to Jesus, you are changed and you are a new heavenly creation now. And really the burden of what Paul is saying here in chapter 6, is it's really, this in a nutshell, it's, it's live like it. Live like it. Live in line with your new heavenly identity. Don't allow the world around you to rob you by pulling you back into its miserable mold and its empty ways of thinking, and its vanity, and its sin. Don't allow the world around you to, to sap you of your spiritual life. Well, just wait a second, I'll tell you how. 
Don't allow, don't allow the world around you to sap you of your life. That's what Paul is saying. And I mean, it's interesting. Paul uses phrases like this. Back, look back at verse 14. He says this. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Look at the words. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Right? You look at the words there. If you look at them, the ones that are underlined, they're kind of words of, of compromise, aren't they? They're words of give and take, of sharing. When you have something in common with someone, or, or you're in fellowship with them, or in harmony with them, or in agreement with them, it means you're on easy terms with them. You're giving and sharing with them. It means you're happy to be around them. Paul is saying, no. Look, by definition, righteousness is not happy to be with wickedness. There's no common ground. Light can have no fellowship with darkness. There's no harmony between Jesus and the pagan gods of the Corinthian world. And in the same way, in exactly the same way, Paul's saying, don't settle, don't be content to share common ground with the sinful values of the world around you. Or as Paul actually says, don't be unequally yoked with the unbeliever. In other words, actually if you unpack it, what it means is don't partner with the values, the beliefs, the worldly outlook of those who do not believe. Don't receive them. Don't be moulded by those values. Which, to be honest, I think is one of the greatest challenges we face today, isn't it? Because you and I know that from the moment you get your head off the pillow in the morning till the last thing at night, we are constantly bombarded by the values of the world around us, aren't we? We are bombarded by them. You know, values like, you know, you are what you own. The more you own, the bigger your house, the flasher your car, the happier you will be. And that's one of the values. Or image, the better you look, the thinner you are, the more trendy your clothes, the more you will look like her on the cover of the magazine. And she looks so happy, but she doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. These are the kind of values and others we face every day. And of course, if that's not enough, we're also bombarded by just so many more, I don't know if you thought about it, so many more opportunities to sin. We're just surrounded by it, aren't we? So easy now. Amazing. I, I read an article recently and it sort of said this. Imagine this. Imagine that in your street there was a house where people were killed every night, where adulteries were going on every night, illicit sex and violence and anger every night. Imagine if there was a house like that in your street. You'd probably be tempted to move streets or move towns. But I read this article and it said, that's going on in your house every night on the telly. On the TV, you can watch X number of murders and adulteries and elicit this or that and violence and anger. That's just on your box in your lounge. I'm not even talking about the big elephant in the room called the internet. That's a whole new world we've been given over the last decade or so. It's all around us. So I think one of our great challenges is how to keep the lines from becoming blurred. How to remain 
clear of values and sin that drains us of spiritual life and vitality. And you see, this is why I love this passage, because Paul knows it's not easy, even in his day. Even in his day. So he goes on to give us something to help us. So this morning I want to give you something to help you. And really it's summed up by this phrase. He wants to give you incredible promises. Incredible promises. See, look again at verse 16 to verse 18 that we looked at earlier. We are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. See, what is that? Actually, they are promises that can help you. Right, verse 16 again. We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. If we will live as the temple of God we are, the promises he will fill it. All right? Now please be careful not to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if we do sin, God will no longer be in us. No, not saying that at all. Jesus died for you. You will always be his temple. What I'm really talking about is being filled with him. What I'm actually talking about is intimacy with him. If we truly live as temples of the living God, if we are building lifestyles of worship, because we are a temple, if we are cultivating a passion for holiness, then he will live with us in the fullest sense of that word. He will walk among us. He will hang around us. He will engage with us. We will experience his presence deeply and often in every detail of our lives. That's the promise. He will truly be God over us. And we will truly experience the glory of being his people. That's intimacy. That's the promise. Again, going down to verse 17. God says, come out from among them. Be separate. And it's the same thing, really. It's, it's, it's this. I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. In other words, it's not that if we sin, he will no longer be our father. No, no, no. It's if we keep ourselves free of sin as we do that, as we come out from among them and be separate, we will enjoy the intimacy of his fathering. That's what it means. We'll enjoy hearing his voice, every whisper that he would say. We will know and experience his embrace and feel his love every day in all we do. It's about experience. Did you know that Christianity is an experiential belief? It's not just an intellectual set of teachings. It's about having God live in you and filling you and you being intimate with him. That's what it is. It's about intimacy. And that makes sense because, you see, the Bible tells me that whenever I sin, whenever I allow myself to be drawn into godless ways, intimacy is what I lose. It just goes. 
Bible actually says that my conscience gets troubled or defiled when I sin. In other words, you feel out of sorts with God. Hebrews 3 says that sin actually hardens our hearts. You know that feeling? When you do sin, it feels like there's a big slab in the way between you and God sometimes. It just feels heavy. We feel like there's just something in the way. It takes away sometimes the desire to be close to him. I feel uninterested, do you? I feel that sometimes when I sin. I can feel I, I'm not, the motivation isn't there. That's what sin does. Again, it's not that I lose my salvation. It's that I lose intimacy with my God. Until I put it right with him. Until I ask for forgiveness. Until I turn away from the offense. And intimacy is restored. It's a bit like when you get married, isn't it? When you marry someone. You know, Julie and I, we're approaching our 30th wedding anniversary. Next year, 30 years, never a crossword spoken. <laughs> no, actually, there were lots of crosswords spoken. But never my fault. I can say that because she's out there helping with the kids. No, 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 frequently my fault. In fact, more often than not, my fault. But I'm so glad that whenever I offended her, it's not like our marriage certificate is ripped up. No, 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 we're in this for life. We made promises before God. Doesn't matter what we're facing, we will see this through. But what is lost is intimacy. I find there's something that creeps between us. When I snap, when I say things I shouldn't. It's kind of like there's something in the air. Something is lost, it's intimacy. Intimacy is lost. There's a disconnect of heart until we put it right. Until we ask for forgiveness. A few months ago, there I am. I said something I shouldn't. I knew it. I walked out the door. I got in the car. I drove down the road. And I got a text on my phone. That was an immature thing, wasn't it? She said. <laughs> I got onto the phone and said, Mouse, that was really immature. I'm so sorry. And it's restored. It's restored. But you see, folks, that's what sin does. That's what worldliness does. It takes away intimacy with God and, and drains us of our spiritual vitality. And how sad it is then if, if our lives become marked by that. The fact that we're always walking in the same old ways. Always given into the world, always going back to the same old habits, always living with a slab that we never need to carry. Forever knowing that God has more for us, but I can never really let go in order to go further with him. How sad is that? Therefore, Paul says this. Oh, sorry, wrong way. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Wow. Since we have these promises, promises that God will fill a clean temple, Promises that he will father us so intimately as we pull away from the worldly things that hold us back. Since we have these promises, 
let's purify ourselves. Let's radically ditch the stuff that contaminates body and spirit. Let's perfect holiness. Can I, can I put that before you this morning as a, a target to aim for, a vision to go for? Let's, let's do this. I mean, it will involve some radical decisions because, of course, if you know that the internet is an issue with you and you find yourselves wandering off, then, then you throw it out. You say, how can you live without the internet these days, Pete? Oh, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. There are things you can do. If you know the TV is too much of a hold, do what a, a pastor friend of mine did once. <laughs> it was funny, really. He, uh, <laughs> he never had a TV before, grew up without a TV, and then uh, got in, into leadership and ministry and the church. And, and then, for some reason, he felt he wanted to get hold of a tally to see what his flock were, were watching all day. And of course, he'd be at home preparing his sermons, and it wasn't long before he got hooked on the soaps. <laughs> Until finally he said, enough, and he threw his tally out. I don't think he sold it even, he threw it out. I would have sold it at least, no, but he threw it out. <laughs> it's a radical decision. If you know that alcohol is an issue with you, where you know you drink a little bit too much, Time to lay it down. If you know it's greed, the obsession to spend a little bit more, to go for that bigger car, that better house, that dream holiday, that's the thing that's driving you. It's not just a nice thought, it's a driver. And you can't let it go. It's time to make a choice. Time to make a decision. Time to purify yourself. You know, it's funny, we cry out, God, purify us. God says, no, you purify yourself. You make some choices. And by my grace, I'll help you through. We purify ourselves and begin to live as the temple of God, begin to enjoy living as a daughter or son of God. That's our calling. Because the truth is this, God is calling many Pauls. That list we read out at the start, phenomenal. Well, God is calling many Pauls, many more who will step out of mediocrity and out of shallowness and into genuine New Testament Christianity. Many more whom God can trust and fill with his power and glory. And deep down to know him more. This year we've been talking a lot about breakthrough, that Breakthrough prayer week, that prophetic word, breakthrough. Actually, that means breakthrough in many fronts. Let this area be one of them. Let this area be one of them. Let's look to have our lives a temple that is not just, yeah, where God is with us, but we are full. Yeah, we know God is our Father, but man, do I know him as Father. Do I know his voice, his word, his is every utterance. That's the invitation and that's our challenge. Are you up for that? I sure am because I don't want to stay where I am. I praise God for what he's done but I know that whatever I've experienced so far is just a taster for more. So let's go for the more. Amen? Let's stand.
Hallelujah. Can I just ask you to forget about the person next to you for a moment? Just forget about the person next to you. You know, I can preach throwaway comments and God and His grace can use them. Marriage is one. Covenant promises that we make before God. Honour the marriage covenant. Restore intimacy and enjoy freedom. For all of us, we're on a journey. For some of you, it started very young when you first turned your heart to know Him. Others, it was later on in the day. But your life on earth is a journey. We all want to move forward in God, don't we? We want to be free of things that chain us and bind us and hold us down. There is freedom in the presence of God. I believe that. Because He has freed me again and again and again. So Father, we stand before You. We say we love You. We thank You so much for gracing us with eternal life. We will be at everlasting splendors. Please help us to live that way now. Please help us to live as holy temples of God that you are happy to fill and fill and fill. Help us not just to know, yeah, intellectually I am your daughter or son, but help me to enjoy every day the wonder of being loved by my Father. Father, I pray you put intimacy really high on our priority list with you so that we can be filled, so that we can have lists maybe not the same as Paul, but we will have lists that are shot through with the glory of God and lives that reflect your beauty and your majesty and your love. So please come upon us by your Spirit, Lord. Please breathe on us as we sang earlier. Oh, we need you, as we sang. We, Father, we need you. But we thank you, you are happy to bless and happy to include us in this wonderful calling. So come upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Now, one more thing before I close. I'm just aware that God is speaking to folks around the room. Please don't hurry that. If you know there are things you need to let go of now, please do it quickly. You know what they are. But I can't finish without addressing at least one or two maybe here today who don't know Jesus. Who've never yet put their trust in Him. And come the time when you die, you don't know whether you'll be in everlasting splendor. You're not sure. You can be sure today. You can put your trust in Him today and know that your eternity is secure 
and know that His hand is on your life for good. If you know you, or you think you've never done that, you can do that today. You can do it now. So as Joe plays, we're going to finish in a second. I'd ask you just to come forward. I'd love to talk with you, one or two of us, just to pray with you and introduce you to your Saviour, the one who died for you, to bring you into his family. Father, again, we thank you for your love. We praise you for your glory. Hallelujah.